All right. Hey, this morning, we're starting a new message series. And what we're doing is we're looking at the book of Acts in the Bible. So some of you might be saying, like, why? Why are we looking at Acts right now? Have you seen any of the news? Have you been paying attention on what's happening? Last night marked uh, a big milestone in the protest in Portland, a hundred straight nights of protest. Um, we have all these things happening in our, our world and our culture. We're going into an election. We got a global pandemic. We have uh, views and conversations on systemic racism that have not happened in a very long time, if ever. We still have unarmed black men being shot and killed. We have all of this insanity happening in the world. Why are we talking about the Bible? Have you read the Bible? It's actually a really appropriate thing to be reading right now and, and wrestling with. So what I want to do is I want to start with a question today when it comes to uh, Acts and how we get into the book of Acts. What is church? Question mark. And, uh, and I want to hear your answers. When you hear that question, what is church? What do you think? And like no wrong answers. Just what, what do you think church is? And the reason why we want to start there for Acts is because this is, um, it's how we would interpret what they were doing. They were just figuring out like, what do we do with this new Jesus thing? But they were establishing kind of what church is and figuring out what church is, this kind of new movement after Jesus is no longer with them uh, to figure out like, how do we do this and how do we figure this out? And so I'm interested for you, Sarah, seeing that question, thinking about it, what, what are some of the, the things that come to mind when you think about what is church? I was thinking about social, social justice to me is church and caring about issues that I think are important in the Bible. Other things that come to mind is just like worship and song or like different method of worship. So like I was raised more liturgical. So like I would think of like a call and response liturgy as being a worship bowl, mm -hmm. I don't know, space and something I don't do anywhere else, but in church. Um, I always think of church as people because like, I don't know. That's just like my song. Were you like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. No, I was just thinking like church is nothing unless we have people, right? So mm -hmm. like who's there? That's like, mm -hmm. I feel like it kind of just revealed all my social side too. I'm like, I don't know. Do I have friends? Are there people that I can talk to? I'll do it. I'll go. Um, yeah. yeah, those are the things that come to mind to me. Yeah. And we have, so Anna uh, says, church is a community trying to follow the teachings of Jesus, supporting each other in the greater community around them. Uh, great answer. And also, I'd love for you, as you're, you're sharing these answers too, you can talk about how it's changed and evolved over the course of your life. Um, because whether you've been a part of a church or not, usually our understandings of church change over time. There are periods of our life where we look back and like church is the, the center place of a lot of pain and trauma in my life. At other times in our lives, we can say the church is the center of healing and hope in my life. Um, it's fascinating how our relationship with church is ever kind of moving and changing. It's, it's like a relationship with another person um, and that it has different seasons. It has different times. Brittany said, um, the name for a gathering of people who are trying to connect to God, understand God, help others connect with God, uh, bring God's doings into the world. That's a great line. Bring God's doings into the world. Yeah, that is a great kind of look at what the church is. 
And what I think is helpful about this is if we strip away all of the things that we assume need to be present for the church, we start to have some other kind of interactions and revelations on what the church can be. And one helpful way of doing that is going from where we are in the world today and looking back at this earliest church, because it really starts to mess with all of our assumptions of what needs to be present to have a church. So this week I talked about doing kind of um, homeschool. Uh, I was not doing homeschool. I want to be very careful. Teachers are creating curriculum. I am helping my kids access that curriculum (laughs) while being in church this week or uh, school this week. But my oldest son is a prolific reader. He just loves to read. And so he was given an assignment to read six pages. And he, over that next night, he just read the book. And the next day when they had to do an assignment, they were like, so based on this, what do you think is going to happen? Like when this thing happened, what do you think it means? And he was like, I can't do that. I already know. Like I know what's going to happen because I'm at a different part of the book. And it's interesting that our relationship to time and space, it changes based on where we are in a story or where we are in the narrative. So, uh, and that's ultimately what we have in Acts and why we want to talk about the nature of the church. Acts and really all of the books of the Bible are a conversation happening between a future point and, and events that happened in the past. None of these, none of the books of the Bible are being live streamed. This is not the Portland pro, uh, protest. We're, we're not getting live reaction in the moment. So what ends up happening is it's really important to know when is the time period that they're talking about and what's the time period that they're writing from because the text is a conversation between these two points in time. And then when you bring us in, you got this two conversations and then we exist at a totally different point and we are an interrelationship between these two points in time and how they're having a dialogue. So let's talk about this quickly when it comes to Acts. Acts is written about the time right after Jesus. So you're looking around 30 AD and um, it's written probably right before the destruction of the temple, anytime between like the late 60s AD to the early uh, to the late 80s AD. Um, and we, we know that because of, of what timeline it covers, but there's like information that they seem to know about what happens to Paul, what happens to Peter that aren't present when the book ends in chapter 28, but they're are kind of talked about there. And if you look at, um, so like think about your relationship right now, um, if you grew up in the United States to Ronald Reagan, think of your relationship to George Bush. Think of your relationship to George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, Donald Trump. These are all leaders that have existed over time. And yet what we thought about them when they were the president, based on lots of different factors, and what we think about them today is there's an evolution and a change. And so like, just think about today, if you were um, a, a Democrat during the time of George W. Bush, you're like, this guy, are you kidding me? Like he, there were all these memes and jokes. I don't even think there were memes yet, but there are all these jokes about how inarticulate George W. Bush was and how he says these things. And famously like SNL is doing send ups of his made up words. 
But now think about how that same person with that same political thinks about uh, George W. Bush in light of Donald Trump. They're like, I wish those were our jokes. We miss him. We yeah. miss him at this point. We're talking about it. Yeah. Yep. Yes. There's this, there's a different relationship that happens. And so if you were telling the story of his presidency now, and I'm not making any value judgments on it. I'm just saying there's a different way you're going to tell that story now in light of Donald Trump than you would have told um, before Donald Trump or even well after Donald Trump sometime in the future, there might be a different relationship to this. So the beginning of Acts, we have, um, this is all couched within the Roman government. And within the Roman government, we have Jesus who was killed as an enemy of the state. So, and how that got brought out is fascinating. And I think it has a lot of overtures for what's happening in the world today. How Jesus was killed was what he was talking about and the kind of relationship he was saying was available with God, with spirituality, was one that did not require the Jewish uh, synagogue system to be in place with these rules and regulations. And that Jewish system of belief was highly financial. It was being funded. So when Jesus turns over the tables at the temple, he's addressing a financial system that has cohabitated with a religious system. Because he's threatening that aspect, this religious system steps into partnership with a governmental system that has huge military power and might to eradicate what they now say is an equal threat to their powers. The religious system wants to get rid of him because if people start listening to him and stop coming to the temple and paying temple taxes, all the people in power in this religious system will lose their power and lose their money. They'll lose so much. And even if he doesn't get them to do a full coup, just by making a mockery of these leaders, he's, he's diminishing their power and authority, which is something that they feel like has to be stopped. Their justification for that is, well, we have to stop him because he's gonna get us killed by the Roman government. The Roman government's gonna come in and see a coup and they have the Pax Romana, which is all of the fighting that's happening. We're gonna put the full power of our military might to stop your infighting to keep peace. Um, but peace is all through death and violence. So this system feels threatened. So they treasure this system, which is in a constant state of threat to kill Jesus. That setting is what this earliest church comes out of. And Christians are continuing to be persecuted all throughout. So famously, uh, Christians are blamed for a fire in Rome um, by Nero. And there's huge persecution that comes from Nero. Um, there's also uh, the, the reign of Caligula, which happens right during the time of, um, right after Jesus, which is marked by um, sexual exploitation, huge abuses of power, um, as famously made into a movie in the 1970s. So uh, you have all these different factors going on, and there's a conversation happening between these two places. So uh, one of the things that's interesting when you read through Acts is how Luke, who's the, the author, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke and Acts are a two-part um, document written by the same author for a man named Theophilus. Um, and Theophilus, uh, I mean, we don't really know who he was other than Theophilus is certainly kind of a Roman name. 
And so it means that he was likely someone who was Roman, but familiar enough with the Jewish systems and cult, uh, culture. There's a, a deep religious plurality in the Roman government. So he'd probably come into a Jewish synagogue to learn and kind of appreciated it. But then he got really curious about what's this Christian thing that's kind of coming out from this Jewish thing. So he hires or he brings on Luke to kind of collect the stories. But how Luke writes those stories is going to be influenced by the government they're in. So famously, I want to read this little passage. This is from Ben Witherington III's uh, commentary on Acts. Um, but this is interesting. So he said, Tacitus, who was uh, a leader in Rome, is a very good gauge um, about what was and what was not safe to write about in this era in the writing of it. Um, and so uh, during this time, and this is from the Agricola, uh, which is a writing about that. It says, um, if you were to publish eulogies of the victims of Nero or the Flavians, who were the leaders in Rome during that time, those were capital crimes and cruel punishment fell not only on the authors, but even on their books. At their public execution, they would burn all of their writers. Um, and this person who's saying this is a crime, it said, in this forum, we destroyed the works of many of our great philosophers. So you can see that because of this constant threat and political turmoil, he's trying to write about Jesus and who Jesus was without triggering a system where he would die and all the works would get burned. So the earliest forms of Christians is very much kind of covert. Um, like the whole Jesus fish that you see on the back of people's car, the Jesus fish origin is a secretive way of revealing identity. So you don't trigger the state to kill you but you're able to communicate like this is the thing we're doing. Other thing that's interesting is when all, when I talked about what is the church in Acts, it's just referred to as the way. This was a way of being in the world that Jesus is trying to teach us and, and step into. So what we see in the gospel, or not in the gospel, what we see in the book of Acts is that you have a, a couple of things functioning that I think are really instructive to, again, the time that the stories take place, when it's being written, about 60, 50 to 60 years later, and now 2020, there's, um, if we look at like a Venn diagram, there's some overlapping circles. One is you have deep kind of uh, systemic racism and belief about people groups that have inherent value or have a lack of value based on the systems. And it's, it's all circling. So you see within this, you have Rome, who Roman citizens have huge power and prestige, which is something that Paul plays on and something we're going to talk about, saying, no, 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 I'm a Roman citizen. You have to treat me in a particular way. You have Jews who everyone else in Rome has to light incense to the Caesar, who they believe um, that the Caesars who have died have been deified to God status, except for the Jews the Jews have a special kind of grandfathered in, grandmothered in system where they don't have to do that. But they're definitely another group. They're also rising in violence against Rome because they believe that only when they overthrow Rome will they'll be able to step into their role as God's chosen people. So there's huge tensions in this. And then as Jesus sticks in, you have huge tensions between zealots and um, the, the Herodians. So people that are more... Um, coming into the Roman government and getting the favors of the, the Roman government and people that are saying, no, we need to kill and overthrow the Roman government. So there's in-group fighting there. And then you also have Samaritans and Jews who have huge tensions. And then outside of that, you have all the Gentiles, people that are not Jewish, that have a different kind of tensions. And those are really on display in um, Acts. 
So a couple of things that I think Acts shows us about who Jesus is. I'm also going to look at some of the, the comments here. Church is about food, Carol. You're right. I could use a good potluck right about now, but I feel like that's a really bad idea. Um, okay. So a couple of things. Nope. Uh, that I think the church is when we look at Acts. One, church is political. Um, here's what I mean by that when I say church is political. One, you know the statement, Jesus is Lord, and we say this a lot, like Jesus is Lord. Because of our current context where we sit today, we tend to think of that as a theological statement. But Jesus is Lord, while being theological, is actually a political statement. During that time, predating Jesus, you have the Caesar, Caesar Augustus, who after his death, his family instates him as a deity. And the phrase that is used is Caesar is Lord. So when this Christian group comes and says, no, Jesus is Lord, it wasn't created in a vacuum. Um, and if you're like, well, I don't know that that's true. Think about the usage of the word Lord, which is exactly the usage that was used for Caesar. The statement is not Jesus is God or within a Jewish context to say Jesus is Yahweh. That's not what's being said. Jesus is Lord. You think this is your leader. You think this is the, the deity that, that came and lived amongst us. It's actually Jesus. And if you go through any of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the point that they make to create this, the narrative of who Jesus was has tons of overtures to Caesar Augustus and who he was. Now, the confusion that we have and why a lot of people say church is not political, I don't want politics in church. Some people say that is what I think what you mean to say is you don't want church to be partisan. And we're seeing some of the impacts of when the church becomes partisan, then it becomes really confusing about what is ultimately Lord within this church system and structure. An example that I use a lot, um, probably too much, is when Mitt Romney was the Republican candidate for president. Focus on the family and James Dobson did something very interesting. They changed and their little writing and the focus on the family from the, the Mounts of Colorado, they said that no longer is Mormonism established as a cult. Why would they do that? They had believed Mormonism and had called Mormonism a cult for a long time because Mitt Romney was the Republican nominee for president and he was a Mormon man. So you can't, as a religious organization, tell people they need to vote for this man if he is a part of a cult. So they change the language. Now, I'm not trying to get into, is Mormonism a cult? Is it not a cult? Should folks on the family do that? All I'm using to illustrate that is that was a symptom of a, of a system that said, our Christianity and our church is always going to be connected directly to this political party. And if this political party starts doing things that are in opposition or start um, challenging this church system, we're going to adjust the church system to better fit within this political party, not the other way around. And so because of that, when we think about the politics of church, which really just means the, the work of the people, this earliest Christian group, this the way in Acts, as they're establishing the church, it was very political. They were talking about Rome. They were critiquing the Caesars. They were critiquing this kind of path of violence, the Pax Romana, that's going to keep peace through killing people. They were saying, this is not who God created us to be. And this is not the way that God created us to be in relationship with each other. 
And that was very much in a culture, in a moment, in a time. Now, just because it is time bound doesn't mean it doesn't have truths that extend beyond that time frame. It absolutely does. But you have to get back to that time to kind of understand how do we understand politics in light of the church. So much of church can be in a way that it functions is retreating back to safe old stories where we have the same outcomes every time. And we just keep on reminding ourselves of these stories, reminding ourselves of these stories. Instead of going back and understanding these stories in their context and then bringing them into the current sphere of this world, our current politics, and saying, what is Jesus doing here and now? If your church affiliation and your religious practices leave you to totally withdraw from this cultural moment and this political moment, I would say it, it can be a lot of things, but you don't get to claim it's the Acts 2 church, which is the, the earliest church. It's just, it's not because the earliest church was deeply political. And again, Paul, Peter are arrested as enemies of the state. They are killed, not because they made other religious people mad, although they certainly did, but that religious system kicked into the governmental system, which would eliminate people as threats to Rome. Church, I think, as we see in Acts, is very political. Two. Also, how many times have we been told, I just want an Acts 2 raw, like... <laughs> of an Acts 2 church. And you're like, actually, that was yes. not so simple, rather complex. Yes. Yeah. And it that reveals such an, a great part about human nature where we constantly look back with rose-colored glasses and we reimagine the past, not as it was, but what we wish it would be. And so then we start calling upon this fictitious past to chart our future, which it can't because it didn't exist. Our future and our present needs to be, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, our past needs to be as complex as our present and our future. If we reduce it to something that it's not, we're going to be completely ill-equipped to actually engage in the world that is today. And maybe don't plan churches that way also. <laughs> oh, I love it. And, and that leads well into this next point, which is that church is evolving. This is one of my favorite things about Acts. Acts is a, a church in motion, in turmoil, constantly changing, constantly evolving. What do I mean by that? We're going to be looking at a story where the earliest Christians, um, and I love this joke, and I'm absolutely about to do it again. So the earliest Christians had a, a status within the Roman government underneath the heading of being Jewish. So while they were not Jews, they were Jewish. And they had those same protections and that same. So everything that the earliest Christians were doing was coming out of this Jewish religious system. In Acts, we start to see it, um, and I wouldn't say divide, but rather I would say this earliest church and Christian church, the way, as it's called in Acts, is expanding. Some of the things that are expanding is that Peter has a vision that they don't have to follow the food lots, which is like no pork, no shellfish, all of that. He sees this huge fabric laid down from God. And God's like, go and take and eat. And Peter's like, no, 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 I can't. And God's like, uh, excuse me, who are you talking to? If I gave you the food laws, we can change the food laws. You can go and eat. And there is no overstating what a mind blowing revelation and like seismic shift this was within the Jewish community and this earliest Jesus community. 
that now they don't have to do this. And secondarily, a huge point of tension is that now they have Gentile inclusion. So basically they're eradicating labels like Jewish, Christian, and Gentile, and just saying, no, everyone's involved in a part of this. These evolutions aren't, in my, in my belief, one-time events that say, all right, the church is gonna get all of its changing out now to never change again. But rather, it's laying a template for if you're going to be involved in a communal spiritual group, there's going to be evolution. There's going to be change. It has to expand and it's going to include and it's going to involve these things, but it's going to get bigger. It's going to get broader as it grows. And what I love about this is when you're in a church that is evolving, it's not a bad thing. That's actually an early church thing. That is falling in the tradition for which Cascade as a church exists today. What becomes more worrisome is if you're a part of a church that is not evolving in any way, is not involved in the moment that exists, and isn't wrestling with what that looks like and, and kind of evolving to hold the tenets of who Jesus was the whole time. Lastly, church is communal. And a number of you have already talked about this. Uh, a number of you have already said that like, it's about the people, it's about the community, it's about coming together. Yes, yes, and yes. Also, how we see this marked out is that we have in the earliest church, there's food distribution. They're like, who among us doesn't have food, isn't fed? Let's make sure that they are fed. Let's make sure that their needs are met. There's a huge uh, relationship and system that they build up at the very beginning. They're not saying, hey, we really need to get this religious ideology off the ground first. We're going to put all of our effort and energy into building some new synagogues. Um, we're going to create some new systems. We're really, we need to get some literature out. We need to do some instruction and teaching while they did and said, and then once that kind of leads the way, then we'll build all these other kind of social goods within the system. They were married and connected from the very beginning. And that connection wasn't ideological. It was communal. What are the needs present in our community? Let's meet those needs. Let's be in this together. And the other thing we see a lot in Acts that I love is that Acts is historically connected. There is speech after speech after speech in Acts. And every speech doesn't say, okay, so Jesus was born on Christmas Day. He lived 30 years. We don't have a lot of information. Three years, boom, ministry life. Uh, he's killed, and then he resurrects three days later, and that's why we're here. Every speech goes back to Moses, goes back to Abraham, goes back to the Old Testament. What it's saying is like this thing that you have given your life to and you know is your identity as a Jewish person, or you know is your religious identity, it is tied to this moment. We're not abandoning history to do this. We're not abandoning our lineage, our story before us to do what we're doing now. We're connecting it. And for me, this is so hugely important that our community of church is actually tied to the people that have gone before us. And I feel like this is such a word for the American church today to say we have to remember where we came from. We came from a persecuted group that was not the center of power, that was trying to include more people than others thought was wise or a good idea, to build an intentionally diverse community that loved and cared and served one another and had eyes to bring other people a part of it. And that wasn't a diversion from its original intent. That was a completion of its original intent. 
And the church today still has that call. How do we live fully into our identity of being the church by connecting it to these paths? That's why we're talking about Acts, which I love. In talking about Acts today and saying, what does it mean to be a church? We're doing the exact same thing that the earliest church leaders in Acts were doing, where they were calling back to their history as a Jewish people, which was just tied into their particular story. I think that's it. I just, this might be another Tada week. Tada, I'm done. Now, I, I, I say all that to say, sorry, sir. I didn't know where we were going. Okay. <laughs> I lay that all out to say is I'm really excited about Acts and I'm excited about having this conversation uh, and looking at this book because I think it has so much to say about our current present moment. It has so much to say about the world we live in right now because this has happened before. So much of this has happened before. And when we look at not the easy resolved answers in Acts, but the very real tensions and struggles of how they were trying to walk the way while still being a person in the world that actually cared about the people around them, that is harder and richer and fuller, but it's a path to wholeness and integration, not separation and rejection of a whole bunch of other people or a whole bunch of other things. It's everything belongs. We're bringing it all into this reality. And this is a way that we, grab on to this ideal Acts 2 church. If that's the ideal, it's going to be messy. It's going to be complicated. It's going to be really, really hard work um, as it was for the people that were there at that time. I think also that like when we say Acts 2 church, if you think through like when someone says a statement like, well, if we go down this slope, like it's slippery, like what we let go of. And then you think through Acts 2 and you're like, no, that was the whole point that like things yeah. were that evolving thing. And so if we can't continue that conversation, I just think it gives direct language to arguments I hear all the time yep. around like culture and well, what do we do with culture and politics and yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. And Leroy said, how about church's family, which is so true. I think that's when we're talking about community, it's a kind of community that you are tied to whether you want to or not. And man, I feel that deep in my bones as an American Christian in 2020, as a white American Christian in 2020, that there is a familial aspect to this where I have to call to account the abuses of certain family members on other family members. And the reason why I do that work is because we're family and everybody has to be held to account. We have to create safety for every person here. And that's also what's happening in Acts is they're calling each other to account. They're having hard conflict-filled conversations. It's not beautiful and flowy and easy. It's hard, complex, and a lot's at risk as they have these conversations. Um, yeah. And we'll mess up just like in families oh and come gosh. back. So much, so much. I don't know if like church's family is a selling point or a detrimental point, but yes, it is true. <laughs> there is a, a connection that you just can't avoid. Um, and so one of the, the things that I, I hope we can do at Cascade is if we return to the place of our trauma and we bring healing and we bring insight, there's a kind of growth and evolution that can, that can happen there that can only happen in that place. And again, you get to decide when you're ready to go back to those places of trauma based on the, the familial connection of everyone who calls themselves a Christian, especially now. 
And you get to decide to, hey, I'm not going to that family gathering. I'm not going to that reunion. I need space. But ultimately, how are we continuing to work of returning to that place of our trauma and finding that there is healing, that God can bring healing even there? Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be great. Harriet and Sarah have put a lot of work in there. We're, we're having a number of people there to come talk to us. Going to be great. Going to be great. Going to be great.